just want to say welcome to you. Thank you for being here. If you have a Bible, why don't we go ahead and grab it. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, and we're continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. And we are almost done with that little mini-series, because today we're working on the Ninth Commandment. Next week will be the Tenth Commandment, and then we'll finish out some weeks with some broader themes, larger sections in the book of Exodus that will take us through the summer. The Bible is very clear about something in one sense when it comes to our words, when it comes to how we speak. There's only two teams, and it's pretty black and white. When it comes to our words and how we speak, there's only two teams. There's Jesus' team, and there's Satan's team. There's Jesus' team, and there's Satan's team. And ultimately, we have to pick which team we're going to be on. Let's look at Jesus' team first. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Right before he's about to be crucified, he has to stand trial with this guy named Pilate, who is a Roman leader and had the authority to see Jesus crucified. And so he's questioning Jesus, and he says to him, So you are a king? This is in John chapter 18. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Here's the purpose. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So he said two things that are very clear here. He says that his purpose is to be all about the truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one who's going to point you to the truth. If you listen to me as well, you're going to show that you're all about the truth with me. So he says, I bear witness to the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. And if you hear me, if you got ears to hear, you're going to be on my team. And you're going to know the truth. So that's what Jesus just straight up says what he's all about. Now listen to what the Bible says about Satan. In the book of Revelation, Satan is described as, quote, the accuser of the brethren. Look at Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan's job is to say to God the judge, hey, you see these Christians that you love? Yeah, they're full of it. They are false. They're hypocrites. They're not deserving of mercy. They're deserving of of just complete rejection by you. He lies about them and accuses them of things that are not true. But maybe, actually, they are true. But Satan has failed to remember that Jesus' cross and empty tomb covers their sin and unites them to Jesus so that God sees the perfection of Jesus as he bears our sin. Either way, Satan is constantly bearing false witness, speaking lies about Christians Last week, we we considered briefly Genesis 3 and the first 
sin that ever took place as a result of Satan tempting Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve listening to him instead of listening to God. And last week we talked about stealing and Satan lied to Adam and Eve and encouraged them to take from God what God said not to take. But Satan also bore false witness about God to Adam and Eve. He's testifying about God to Adam and Eve and wanting Adam and Eve to put themselves in a position of judgment as a judge over God himself. See how perverted that is? And Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, I know God. I know what he's up to. He's not for you. He's out to suppress you because he's threatened by you. So here's what you do. Don't, don't believe him. Believe me. It's okay. Take the fruit. It's, it's for your good. See, he lied about God to them. That's bearing false witness. In the same way, if you say things that are false about people, you're on Satan's team. So the Bible makes it clear in reference to how we speak, there's only two teams. There's Jesus' team, the truth team, and Satan's team, which is the, the team that's full of lies. And we have to choose, ultimately, which side are we going to be on. So that brings us to our text for today in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. God speaks to his Old Testament people and he comes down on their level, and he, and he communicates to them with words that they can understand. How gracious is that? And he says to them, don't be on Satan's team. That's going to bring chaos and confusion and madness, and it's going to totally disrupt your mission that I've given you to be a light to the nations. Jesus' team is way better. And, it, and he says it very clear here, Exodus twenty sixteen. What does it say? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's what Satan does. You don't want to do that. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's seek to understand, what, what's, what's the essence of bearing false witness? This is a phrase we don't use very much in, in common English, I don't think. And in the most literal sense, bearing false witness is what I've already kind of described a little bit. It's testifying in a court to a judge and maybe a jury something that you saw or saying that you saw, but then lying about it. But then lying about it. So it's false testify, testifying. It's false witnessing. It's accusing someone of something they didn't do and insisting they did do it. It's testifying about a matter in a way that's false. So that's pretty clear, but, but let's think about this at a deeper level. What's at stake here? Why is this a big deal? Well, it's, it's not hard to imagine that if we as a community are all about saying things about other people that are simply not true, it just creates chaos. It just creates chaos chaos. Think about it in two ways. It, number one, if we're a community where this kind of thing were to happen, where we're constantly testifying about one another in ways that are false, there could just be no trust, right? No trust. And if there's no trust between people, there could be no intimacy in relationships. But that is what God desires for his people. Deep intimacy in relationship through loving each other. But if we're speaking falsely about one another, it just destroys that possibility. 
right? No trust, no intimacy, no beauty in God's gathered people. Secondly, it just destroys the possibility of justice, right? Our God is a God of justice. He says he's on the side of justice. And if his people pervert the pursuit of justice through lying about someone when speaking about them, how could we ever be communities of justice? How could we say that we love God and we love what he loves, justice, and then turn around and do the opposite? Through bearing false witness, through speaking lies about someone to someone else. So as I thought about this this week, you know, sometimes we can make this stuff overcomplicated, but for me it helps just to try to boil it down. What this boils down to, if you think about it, is the right use of words, right? It's the right use of words. Real simple, like bearing false witness is something that we do with our mouths, right? It involves words. It involves speaking. If there's no, there's no false witness if we keep our mouths closed, right? It's impossible to bear false witness without words. But once the mouth is open and words come out, right then is that moment that there's a lot at stake, right? The Bible says over and over that there are things that are, that are good, but they're dangerous. Like a, a great example that Jesus talks about all the time is money. And money's a good thing, but it's not a, a very good God thing. And the problem is we like to make it into a God thing, take a good thing, make it into a God thing. And at that point, money gets all screwed up in our lives and how we use it. It it can be a good thing, but Jesus says, just read the Gospels and watch how much he talks about money over and over again. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. This is like ground zero for idolatry if you're not careful. You can trust money way more than you trust God. That's a big deal. In the same way, the Bible talks so much about our words, and our words can be amazing, but they can also be very, very dangerous. Words can be so destructive. And for me, my goodness, I mean, this is humbling for me. I stand up here and I preach. Like, I get paid to use words. I'm using words right now, trying to bring God's word to bear on our lives. All of us have seen over and over again how our words can be used to destroy and tear down, right? The Bible speaks about this all the time. You just spend about five minutes in the book of Proverbs and you'll, you'll run into all these different wisdom sayings from the Old Testament about the right use of words or the wrong use of words. A harsh word stirs up anger, right? A harsh word. If your words are harsh, it's going to stir up anger. Proverbs 15.1. But a gentle answer turns away wrath, right? So there's a wrong way and there's a right way. James chapter 3 talks about words like a fire that can literally burn down acres and acres and acres of a forest. Have you ever walked through the remains of a forest fire? It's, it's, it's devastatingly dark and depressing because because the Bible talks about this, and I think this is just kind of normal in, in our human existence. Trees represent life, right? 
Trees represent strength and life and beauty. The Bible uses the metaphor of a tree to talk about believers, those that trust in Jesus, trust in the triune God, that you could be like a tree planted by a stream of water. But if you walk through the remains of a forest fire, all you see is not that beauty. You see burnt out stumps everywhere. And it's just a sight of sheer desolation. The Bible says, go walk around those remains of that forest after it's been burnt to the ground and be reminded of what happens if our words are not kept in check. That's James chapter 3. It'll eventually look like that. Be careful. Be careful. But the Bible also says something really encouraging. See, our words don't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be that way. Our words can be on Jesus' team. Our words can be beacons of light that shine in the darkness. Our words can be streams of living water that refresh others as they listen to us. And in my darkest days as a human being, you know what God has used over and over again to lift me out of that darkness? It's other people who love me and gently come alongside me to do what? To use words, right? Truthful words, Jesus' words, words of life, words of encouragement, words of prayer, words of strength and reminding me of who I am and who God is. See, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom with our words. No, don't hear that for a second. Again, just, just like we talked about last week with stealing, it's not just that we stop stealing and that's enough. No, it's we stop stealing and then we start doing. What did we start do last week? Last week we start doing generosity. We work so that we can have something to share with all those that are in need. So we're not going to steal. We're going to work. Work is good. And in light of work being good, we're going to have some money. And in light of that money that we have, because it comes from the Lord and it didn't just come from us, we're going to be generous because our God is generous. In the same way, we consider the same thing from Ephesians. Just a couple verses earlier, look at what Paul says writing to the Ephesian church a couple millennia ago. He says, you got to stop something and you got to start something. We're going to put something off and we're going to put something on. Therefore, having put away falsehood. Okay, so we're going, to, we're going to put that in the closet and we're going to lock that door and we're never going to open up that, that door that leads to falsehood again. We're going to put it away, right? We're going to put away falsehood. And what are we going to start doing? So it's not just stop, but it's going to be starting. We're going to start doing something else. We're going to speak the truth with our neighbor. Why? For... We're members of one another. See that? We're going to stop with the false. We're going to start with the truth. And there's a foundation there. There's a reason why we got to be people of the truth. Because we're members of one another. See that there? What does that mean? It means we're united as one group of people in the church. And this group of people has a mission to be so united that the world looks at us and says, wow, those people are people of truth. And look how united they are in that truth. See, falsehood is Satan's team, and that just erodes at trust and destroys community. But, but truth is Jesus' team, and it builds up our unity as members of one another. See, Paul's saying here, the church is at stake. 
the purity and the beauty of the church is at stake. You guys are one, but you can't act like you're one if you're constantly breathing out lies. But you know what builds you up as one? It's the truth. The truth does that. You want to be strong as a church? You want to be united, church in Ephesus, church in Madison? It's the truth. The truth is going to unite you. Jesus is the truth. So we're going to speak that to one another. We're not going to speak lies. We're going to speak truth to one another. See, God says to his Old Testament people and his New Testament people, you can't be a light to the nations. You can't be a shining example to the whole rest of the world of what a people look like who love God if you lie to each other, if you testify falsely about each other. See, there's a better way that glorifies me and gives you great joy. And it's this. We start using our words to faithfully, consistently, habitually encourage one another, pray for one another, remind one another of who we are, to weep with those who weep, to build one another up in love, to go out of our way, to honor one another in the way we talk. And when this happens, God is glorified and we make an onlooking world look in and see that we love God and we love each other. And they go, man, there's something different here. There's something different here. That's God's will for us, to bear witness to the truth. Not like Satan's team that just bears witness to lies. Let's just take maybe one step deeper as we consider this. Just kind of as a side note, bearing false witness is just, in its essence, is is, is straight up lying about someone to a judge, right? Right? But I think a a softer form of this that can potentially be as destructive is just gossip. What what is gossip? It's, It's sharing information about someone to another person that may have nothing to do with that situation. So how does that connect to bearing false witness? Well, when that happens, when what happens in the situation when you're talking about someone with someone else, it forces the person hearing it, hearing the gossip, to be in the position of a judge, right? And any good judge is going to hear various forms of testimony before forming a firm conclusion. Now, unfortunately, when we gossip, oftentimes the person hearing it forms a conclusion that is not right because you're not bringing the whole truth. You're bringing one perspective, Typically, gossip is just one witness, and then conclusions get formed about the person being talked about without other people bringing other information to bear. So it can so easily pervert the opinion of the person that's in the judgment seat if there's just one person testifying. That's often what gossip is. See, you see how gossip erodes so deeply at community because conclusions get formed about people without sufficient information about a situation? You see that? So we have to be so careful with our words. We have to be so careful with our words. So we've talked about two teams, the truth team, Jesus' team, the false team, the Satan's team. We've considered how bearing false witness in its purest legal form And if that happens, it destroys communities. It it would destroy the Old Testament community, the original audience of this command. It destroys the New Testament community, the church, and mission to make disciples of neighbors and and nations. just can't happen if the church is destroyed. And we've considered the power of 
not false witness, but true witness of speaking life to one another, speaking truth to one another, speaking encouragement to one another, and how that builds one another up in love. And we've, we've considered briefly how gossip can be a form of bearing false witness. So as you hear this, I would imagine that most of us might have two action points. The action point might be, man, I got room for repentance in my life. I got room to think about how I use my words. Is it, is it veering in the direction of Satan's team? Man, if so, whoa, that's scary. I mean, the Bible says that he's the father of lies. You don't want to align with that. You don't want to veer in that direction. We have a heavenly father who's all about the truth. So how have I used my words to demonstrate that God is my father? Satan's not my father. I've got no part with the father of lies. Got no part with the father of lies. So maybe there's room for repentance and faith this morning. But also maybe there's room for just taking the challenge to be communities of truth. And we're not just going to stop and be silent, right? We should never be a people that gather and just have mouths closed, right? Now, it's dangerous when our mouths open. That's clear. But just because it's dangerous doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, enter into relationships with mouths open. So if my mouth is going to open in relationship with you, what should that look like? It should look like the truth. It should look like encouragement. It should look like, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I share with you something that God's put on my heart through his word? And we should be speaking with each other all the time. It shouldn't just be, you know, nicey-niceiness and the weather and the Packers or whatever. No, it's, it's, it's life. It's truth. That's where deep unity is found. That's where the church is built up. That's where our mission can come, 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 come forward in the world, that's where people will look in and go, man, there's something different about these people, about how they speak to each other. You see how encouraging they are? You see how loving they are? You see how they pray for each other? You see how they serve each other? So all of that's got words all over it, but it's just got to be the right kind of words, right? So this morning, maybe you shouldn't leave this room without doing that. And let's just get in the habit. Let's get in the practice. We're not going to be silent with each other. We're not just going to be like, hey, what's up? I need, to, I, need, I need to work on this too. You know, I get all focused on a Sunday morning and in task mode. It's like I can blow by, by people on a Sunday morning. I don't want to do that. And, and, and we, we should not do that. We, we should be engaged with one another with words of life. And so maybe just make a point this morning. Just, hey, I appreciate this about you. I observe your marriage and your parenting, and it encourages me in ways that I can grow. And, man, when you said this to this person, I saw you compliment them. That really encouraged me. Help me understand how I can do that better. Whatever. Let's do that this morning. So maybe there's room for repentance. Maybe there's room for an action point to not just the stop doing something, but I'm going to start doing something, right? Let me close with something wild that you may not have considered in your Bible. One of the most prominent figures in the whole Bible, a guy who takes up a lot of space in our Bible and actually wrote some of the Bible, you know what he was? This wasn't all that he was, but this is a part of what he was, and the Bible doesn't blush about this. The Bible says he was a liar. Let that encourage you. God uses deeply messed up people all the time. So if you think you've screwed up so bad with your mouth 
that God could never use you, take heart. God uses sinful, messed up, bearing, false witness type people all the time. That doesn't make it right. It just shows that our God is gracious to the worst of us, you and me. Let me remind you of the story of Peter. See, Peter was Jesus's, one of three of Jesus' closest confidants. They got to be in the ultimate inner circle like there was an instance called the transfiguration where, where God just kind of peeled back the curtain a little bit to the glory of Jesus. But only Peter, James, and John got to see that unbelievable moment. And Peter, James, and John got to see him in, in intimate situations where he's healing people. And so, man, Peter was Jesus's guy. And so when Jesus was put on trial, he was taken to all these different places and questioned by different people and just kind of shuffled around to these different locations. And as that was happening, Peter was kind of off at a distance and just checking out the action and what was going on. And in one of those instances, as he's kind of off on the fringes looking at what's happening to Jesus out here, there's a girl that comes up to him and says, hey, I, I know you. You are with Jesus. You're one of his guys, right? And Peter just flat out denies it. He just lies. He bears false witness. He testifies to the fact that what she's saying is not true, even though he knew that it was. He's filled with fear. And I'm sure we can relate to it. I mean, look at what they're doing to Jesus. And Peter's thinking, if they do that to Jesus, they could do that to me too. He's filled with fear. Flat out denied the truth, testified falsely, bore false witness. He said, I've got no idea what you're talking about. I'm not who you think I am. And he swore to the truth of this lie. He aligned himself with Satan's team in that moment. It's like, Peter, what are you doing? Well, Peter's probably just doing what we would have all done. We need to pause before we get judgmental of Peter. Humble ourselves. But just as Jesus predicted, Peter denied and testified to a lie. The rooster crowed. He came to his senses. He realized what he had done. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. How in the world would Peter ever recover from this? Right? Can you imagine how horrible he felt for the next 48 hours? His true hope, Jesus, was dead gone in the grave. And the last words that he spoke about Jesus were a complete fabrication, right? See, he talked a big game before Jesus put, was put on trial, but when the pressure was on, he completely folded. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame and the horror of this whole situation? I mean, I, I'm sure like depression just engulfed him. How would he have recovered this is the rock bottom utter darkness before the dawn. See, Jesus died for Peter. Jesus died for Peter's crazy mouth. Jesus died for those who lie with their words, those who gossip and destroy. But that death of Jesus means nothing for Peter or anybody else without one thing. What is that? Resurrection. That's right resurrection. See, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and Peter saw it with his own eyes. Death did not have the last word for Jesus or for Peter. 
The, the, the penalty of his sin had been conquered. Jesus bore it in his place and then rose to new life. The, the, the depression that Peter was sinking into was washed away through the most unique event the world has ever seen. Peter could find new life that's not enslaved to the sin of lying through the resurrection of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead and he raised Peter and anyone else to walk in newness of life with him. Listen to what the Bible says about how this happens for believers because of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So if you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you're united to Christ. This is called union with Christ. Christ is in you and you are with him. He is in you and you are in him and you are united as one. That's what he's talking about there. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? That's Galatians 2.20. That's just another way, way of saying what's going on here. We were buried, therefore, with him in Christ, with him, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, so again, with him, Christ was raised from the dead, so we too, we've got a newness of life coming as well. So death didn't hold him down. He was raised in in new life. And in the same way, since we're with him, we're going to have his new life alive in us too. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. For if we have been united, there's that word united, united with him in a death like his, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live with Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20, right? We're united with him in a death. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. You feel that? You feel that? This is what Peter experienced. This is what Peter experienced. He's raised to walk in newness of life. And that's exactly what you see in the book of Acts. He's no longer the guy. He's still screwing up sometimes, right? But he's not the guy that's fearful. He's not the guy. He stands up and he preaches. And there's people looking at him that have the power to do what they did to Jesus to him. And he says, I just don't care. This guy rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. I can't shut up about it. Do what you want to with me. I can't shut up about it because it's true. It's the most important fact of history the world's ever seen. How can we shut up about this? And because of this, the Holy Spirit is alive in my heart. And I got to talk. I got to share. I got to have you know that this is the real deal. And there's no other way of looking at it. Peter's not denying anymore. He's testifying now because he's walking in newness of life because the resurrection is true and he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what all of us, this Romans 6 reality is what all of us can experience if we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. See, lying doesn't have to be the last word. Your sense of self-condemnation doesn't have to be the last word. Jesus' resurrection is the last word. Peter knew it was true. We know it's true. The empty tomb is the greatest hope for all of us. Jesus' death for sinners actually accomplished something. We don't stand condemned because Jesus took our sin, conquered it through the resurrection. 
So our sin doesn't have power over us anymore because we're united to Jesus by trusting and treasuring him. And since we're in him and he is in us, his resurrection is our resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. So you're new. If you're in Christ, you are new. You're not defined by a false witness tongue. You're not defined by a lying tongue. You're defined by Jesus's bearing witness to the truth. That's what we said right at the beginning. He said, I'm all about the truth. If you're listening to me, you're about the truth too. So we listen. We listen with ears to hear. That's what it means to walk in newness of life. We listen to King Jesus with ears to hear. He's all about the truth. We're all about his team. It's not about Satan's team. It's about his team. That's who we are. So let's be who we are. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. So we are people who are not condemned, but we're free to speak the truth. No more lies, just the truth. No more gossip, just the truth. If Jesus can forgive Peter, he can forgive you. If Jesus can reach out to Peter, he can reach out to you. If Jesus can change Peter's life, he can change you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the, the grace and mercy of the gospel that we see in it, that you, that you can restore Peter, you can restore us, and you can empower us to speak life. And so may it be so among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.